guys and welcome back to the Leia Heilpern show powered by Icon Plus. So I want to give a really quick um, shout out to them actually because Icon Plus, if you guys didn't know, so they're actually a public representative um, for the Icon Network. They've been doing a lot of PR and marketing um, and a lot of us wouldn't know who Icon Network were without um, Icon Plus's hard work. So if you do stake your ICX tokens, then definitely vote for Icon Plus. Um, I also want to say a quick thank you to my sponsors, BlockFi. So I use them to earn up to 8.6% interest on my USDC. If you don't know, USDC is a stable coin which is pegged to the US dollar. Um, I feel like this is going over people's heads. So this is 8.6% interest is pretty insane given Interest rates are practically practically flat, I can't get my words out. Um, and across Europe, we've seen negative interest rates. So that's 8.6%. And on Bitcoin, you can get around 6%, so it's pretty cool. Um, and just finally, before we talk Bitcoin and everything else that's going on, um, I wanna say another shout out to CoinFlip. Um, so they are doing amazing works. Um, they have over 1,000 ATMs across the states, bringing Bitcoin mass adoption to a lot of different people. So I think that's fantastic. I do have a discount code um, that you can get 10% off their, off their transaction. So I'll leave that code for you guys somewhere in the comments. Um, but I want to get started. Today we have a really cool guest, somebody who's an absolute expert on everything Bitcoin, everything crypto. So I'm going to bring him in. It is Matty Greenspan. What's up, Matty? How's it going, Leia? Nice to see you. It's good to see you too. How is everything? I love the 20K in the background. There we go. Yeah, is things are happen? good. I can't complain. I'm not going to ask you, is it going to happen yet? I want to I wanna delve into you before we talk to the market. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're always super good. I think that. anybody following me on Twitter knows, knows my opinion about this. Yeah, I know, I know. We're going to go into all of this, but for those that don't know a little bit about you, you were previously at eToro, um, so you are obviously an absolute expert in this market, in this space. So tell us a little bit about that, and you've now founded Quantum Economics, I think, at the beginning of this year, was it? Yeah, November. It's it's uh, a year ago I left eToro and started Quantum Economics uh, two days later. Um. I my, my name is Mati Greenspan. I am a uh, I was the senior market analyst in eToro. Now the founder of Quantum Economics, the co-author of the book The Complete Guide to FinTech Investing, and a licensed money manager in the European Union. That's that's me. That's you. Okay, so I obviously want to talk about the markets, um, but before we get there, you know, I kind of want to understand why we're here. Um, you know, we often talk about this issue with traditional finance, but I don't feel like that idea and that real issue is kind of understood enough um even in this even in this community you know we're all sort of like oh inflation this printing money that but we don't really sort of go into it so if you could say the top three issues you think there are with, that there is with the traditional financial system what would that be well just three huh well um, you can give me all of them don't don't hold back matty well, I, I think that one of the main issues um, is that you know, we, we live in, in mostly in, in democracies these days, um, but the people who control the money, actually, the central banks, they control the supply of money and they, they control interest rates, are actually not democratically elected. Um, and then they're able to make unilateral decisions that affect everyone. Um, sometimes this can be a good thing and sometimes not so great of course i mean there is something to be said for you know um 
dictatorship. I think that dictatorships often run smoother than democracies in, in many cases. Mm, and you know, and if there's an emergency, we can see that it functions certainly better than uh, traditional government. And and in case in point right now, where we're seeing that the Fed is able to act however they like, however they feel is needed, however they feel they feel that the economy uh, requires, but Congress is not right. And that's actually what what needs to happen at the moment is uh, is stimulus from Congress. There's two different types of stimulus that everybody needs to know about. There's monetary stimulus, which is from the central banks, basically the central banks pumping money into the banking system. And fiscal stimulus actually comes from the government itself, right? And uh, at the moment, monetary stimulus is abundant. The central banks are able to pump as much as they like, but the fiscal stimulus is harder because it requires agreement between the different parties. Mm -hmm. Democrats and the Republicans, they are not getting along right now whatsoever, and therefore they're not able to provide that fiscal stimulus. Those stimulus checks that we saw, $1,200, I think it was back in April, everybody was expecting it to happen again. But because Congress can't get together, the Republicans and the Democrats are deadlocked, uh, and therefore it's not happening. And the Fed, just over the last two days, we saw both Jerome Powell and Stephen Mnuchin, who's the Treasury Secretary in the White House, um, begging Congress. Like practically, they could be like getting down on their knees. They might as well be getting down on their knees mm -hmm. right now. Please, Congress, just write a check. Just write a check. And all Congress needs to do is say, "Okay, here's the check. Here's the amount." It's not like a big fundamental flaw. I mean, there isn't like everybody agrees it needs to be done, but nobody wants to be seen as the one who's buckling to the other side. Um, and everybody's trying to get their little tiny. Um, it, it's really an issue of pride more than mm -hmm. anything. It's like every, everybody knows stimulus checks need to happen. You can't take away people's jobs, tell them you're not allowed to work. It's illegal for you to go to work and then not provide them something to be able to pay the bills and feed their families at the end of the day. So what's happening, I think. Um, is a sham, and um, well, you want to say that, hot, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I think that that's fine too. <laughs> I mean, tell people that they need to wear a mask in public. Okay, fine. I don't. I think it's a bit overkill, but if if you want to, go for it, right? And then tell people, um, you know, okay, so uh, you need to have up to five people in in a in a, in a hundred square meter store or fifty square meter store, whatever it is, is the mandate. Fine, people can wait outside in a line. I don't care, but telling people that they're from a certain industry and therefore they can't work and not, not providing any type of stimulus. I mean, it's really, I mean, we're, 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 we've taken something that could have been rather trivial and making it into something that's a multi-generational issue. What, this, you mean COVID or you mean this stimulus, are you talking the monetary system, which bit? Co Right. Well, all of it together, I suppose. I mean, COVID, you know, it is it is a problem. And I do know people who've contracted COVID and people who've died from it and, and, and it sucks. But um, at the end of the day, uh, the damage that's being done to the economy right now is far, is far outweighing that. And I, I believe that um, the government is in a position that they can rectify it somewhat but they're refusing to and over silly reasons yeah i mean i i mean it, it kind of just shocks me i feel like there's so many things that we're not allowed to talk about and we're sort of not allowed to talk about the fact that you know there's that 99.9 percent .9 survival rate 
And if you're, are those, are those your kids in the background? <laughs> Very cute. Um, yes, sorry. No worries, it's okay. And you know, if you're over, I think over 70, it's around 94% survival rate. So I would definitely say there's a huge overreach. Um, I mean, if you're gonna stop people from working, then of course you're gonna have to sort of, that's your responsibility. You have to sort of make up for that financially. Um, but you know, I would just say, just let people work. You know, I think it's pretty interesting the way, um, you know, a lot of the time in life and in, in society, we have the freedom to decide how much risk that we want to take. But it's kind of odd in this situation, we're not allowed to decide how much risk we want to take, you know? Smoking kills you, but we are within our right to take that risk. You know, you can die getting on a, getting on a plane, you can die by driving, um, you know, but we're within our rights to take that risk. Um, you know, as a woman, I could get attacked by getting it, you know, walking alone at night, um, but it's not illegal to do that. Um, I just know, you know, I, I can weigh up my risk. I can say, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm small. <laughs> I'm very small, actually, in real life. <laughs> um, you know, I'm. I, or I'm like, you can take karate. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you defend yourself. Exactly. It's your decision to make. Exactly. But given I know that I'm at risk, I wouldn't walk through a dark park on my own at night. So we have that freedom to decide, you know, how much risk we want to take. It kind of surprised. I don't know if it surprised me. I just don't know why we're not following through. Um, you know, when it comes to this. Yeah, it is a bit bamboozling, and and but to 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 your question, I mean, what are the 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 flaws yeah. within the financial system? I mean, this is an apparent, a blatant one, where you know, Congress is not able to provide stimulus. Are your little ones there? Uh, the ones. <laughs> yes. Guys, while Matty speaks to his little ones, um, I just want to also let you know. We're um, doing longer intense negotiations here. You should. You're know. in intense negotiations. That's fine. I'll, I'll 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 chat to my I'll chat to my audience. So I just want to thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Um, I can see that we have um, we have Matthew that's tuned in. Thank you so much. We've got Blockchain Monkeys who says this is a great show. So thank you so much. Nebula is here. Jason Williams is here, who now identifies apparently um, as a big chocolate man. That's what Jason Williams. What's up, Jason? Said. Yeah, Jason <laughs> Williams. <laughs> he's now identified as a big chocolate man, uh, which, which is which is interesting because he's quite the opposite. <laughs> are, you, are you still in? Are you still in intense negotiations, or do we have you, Matthew? Yes. Um, we have you. We're, we're. I'm back. You're back? Cool. Okay, right. I want to talk about the financial system. I want to know the problem. Um, you said, you know, it, it's it's undemocratic, which is pretty interesting. You know, they get to make these decisions like printing X amount of money. We never voted um, to allow that to happen. Um, but other than un it being undemocratic, tell me more of the problems. Something so simple that I can turn around to my friends and say, these are the problems. This is why you need to be in crypto. This is why you need Bitcoin. Sure. So the, sim the simple fact of the matter is that fiat currency or currency that is unbacked and created uh, unilaterally by governments is designed intentionally to depreciate over time. Um, you see the, the central bankers talking about uh, inflation as if uh, the lack of inflation is, is a criminal thing or, or a very bad thing that needs to be rectified. Right. They say, OK, we're not, you know, um, we need to get to two percent inflation. We need to we need to have more inflation. We need to have more inflation, meaning what, what they what they're saying is, I mean, very clearly is that we need to devalue the money that's in your bank account. Right. 
It sounds Why? absurd, but, Why? but that's what's happening. Um, there are many reasons for it. And then there could be, you know, uh, there are cases to be made why inflation can be a good thing for economy, for an economy. Um, for the most part, it pushes people towards consumerism, right? Mm -hmm. If you know that the money in your bank account is going to be worth less in five years, you're less likely to save it and more likely to spend it. I find that so sickening. Like that's so sickening. Like there's nothing, um, that's kind of like, um, it's not like, it's not a positive thing. It's kind of holding you hostage, isn't it? It's kind of blackmailing you, you yes. know, it's incredible. Slavery. It's, it's slavery to consumerism. It's what's been happening for the last several decades, at least. Yeah. I mean, it, it just blows my mind, you know, because people celebrate quantitative easing and they sort of say, yeah, you know, it stimulates the economy. It gets people to spend, but, but it's absolute blackmail. In my opinion, there's nothing positive. It's like, well, hang on. I don't want to spend, you know, we spend too much. Black Friday is stupid. We spend way too much. You know, we don't need all of these things. And I, I was watching a documentary recently about minimalism. Not that I'm into minimalism that much, to be honest. But you know, there's—I <laughs> mean, there's something to be said about having too much stuff and people sort of buying um, to find happiness in these things. But it's really empty. I want to talk about inflation though, because our inflation rates that we see in the West, you're obviously in the Middle East. Um, you know. It's not what we see in countries like Venezuela, for example, right? Um, and so when I often put forward this argument about inflation, people are just like, no, you know, the, this is normal, this is natural inflation rates, whatever that means. So we don't yeah. see hyperinflation. So despite not seeing any hyperinflation here, would you still see, say, you know, inflation is actually an issue? That is a good question. And um, because COVID-19 is completely uh, screwed with all of the barometers that we have to mm -hmm. understand the economy, um, we have to understand what's happening here. So first of all, within the first two months of the COVID-19 lockdowns, uh, more money had been injected into the American economy than had been in the first 200 years um, of, uh, of America's existence. Um, now, a logical person would say, okay, more money supply, therefore, you know, supply and demand, therefore the demand on the currency goes down and the mm -hmm. value of the currency goes down. Um, but economists are very quickly finding that this isn't always the case. And over the last 10 years, um, we've seen them testing, pushing the limits more further and further. How much can we print um, and, and not have inflation? And what they really seem to be scared about is deflation, right? Where the God forbid the people, the money in people's bank accounts should actually increase in value over time. Mm. Um, Why don't they want and, that? Why would they be scared uh, of that? It's not a good thing. It's bad for it's bad for business. People people end up saving rather than spending. Uh, okay, so it's the opposite of what we were just saying. Okay, I'm with you. Exactly. Um, so generally, so generally speaking, I mean. Inflation isn't isn't all all that like a bad thing, but the problem is when um, they continue to they continue to push this money in, and because because of COVID nineteen, now we see um, all of a sudden people aren't spending anyways, mm. right? So because people aren't spending, um, there we don't see any kind of uh, movement in the economy and therefore inflation cannot happen. Inflation can only really happen once we see the velocity pick up where money is actually changing hands on a regular basis. Uh, that's when inflation occurs. So right now what we're seeing is, is basically 
Um, imagine like a, a punch, uh, a punch, a jug of punch or whatever, right? And you have the powder and you, you mix in all the powder. And um, so they've been stirring, right? And then they, they put the, they put the powder in and they, they, you know, they see the powder just keeps dripping down to the bottom, right? And then now we have a situation where and, and rather than, rather than stirring it up and making the powder move around the, the jug, they just keep pouring <laughs> more powder in, right? And now you have a jug that's like half powder and, and half this uh, kind of uh, a mush. But you know that once people go back to work, right, eventually we hope that, you know, these lockdowns will be over and people are gonna go out and spend again. And they're gonna go travel and they're gonna go on vacation and they're gonna go uh, and, and get back to their to, to normal lives. That's when things get stirred up. And this and is- And that's when things get when, bad. And that's when things can potentially get very nasty because we have all of that excess powder in the bottom once things get stirred around it's going to be really uh okay. i don't know yeah interesting so just to like clarify that so for inflation to sort of happen and take place the money needs to be spent so right now we're not going to see the effects because everything's shut down we're not spending but then once everything starts going back into circulation that makes sense that makes perfect sense once everything goes back into circulation that's when we're going to see it essentially yeah uh, okay. Very likely, this is what economists are expecting. But uh, the more the more we learn, the more we realize that our previous assumptions are are, are simply moot and 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 unreliable. Okay, so speaking of deflationary assets, let's talk about Bitcoin. Um, yep. Your view on the overall markets right now. So I want to talk about your view on Bitcoin. Firstly, do you think that it's performed well this year? Um, I'm obviously going to get on to what's happening right now you know are we at the beginning of the bull run but let's just talk about 2020 you know I, i've been reading that the dollar's down um bitcoin's clearly not so so what are your thoughts on bitcoin this year yeah i mean bitcoin has consistently been an outperformer of of everything in the world yeah i, I mean we've seen it since it's, it's since its creation basically i mean there have been very few years when it hasn't outperformed every other financial asset on the planet yeah and at the beginning of this year my prediction was the same it was exactly they asked me for a comment on it and i said that this is look this is how it's done there's little reason to suspect that it won't do that again um and therefore you know obviously the bulk of my investments uh right now at this moment in time are in bitcoin um with, of course, uh, fail safes involved because, you know, sometimes we get those 20, 30 percent corrections. What kind of fail safe uh, is of interest? Um, well, I've got these big monitors up. Make sure that uh, we don't uh, we don't cross any of those red lines. If we do, then we uh, cut exposure a little bit. What red line? Um, what would be red lines for you? Um, like a 10K line or? Yes, I would say 10K. I, I don't think that. Look, I think that there's a real possibility that we'll never see uh, Bitcoin below 10,000 ever again. Um, but if you want to pull up the chart, we've got a few lines of support coming up there. Pull that up. Let's have a look. Can we see it? Okay. That's it. We're getting, live, we uh, we're getting a live TA here. This is fab. All right. 10K. Right. There's, there is, that is an ultimate level of support as far as I see. Uh, 12K, 14K, and then 16K, but I think 16K, we could probably move it to 16 and a half. I think it's more relevant. 16 and a half was, was the tougher level to be. Um, 
But the fun thing here is that every single see these were these lines had never existed previously, right? Because the first time we went from 10k to 20k, we went up so fast. Oh, we can't hear you. Come back. We can't hear you. Come back. Come back. They said the first time that we went from 10k to 20k, we went up so fast. It took two weeks, and we came back down so fast that the, the charts didn't have enough time to build up proper support and resistance lines. But now we've seen that they did, and we can see that the way that they interacted with these levels. So 10k, if you'll recall, um, it took a while for mm -hmm. it to test this, right? I mean, look at look at it testing here. Testing here, testing here, testing here. Once it did though, once it did break through, it blasted through and it didn't just go through. It went all the way up to 12K before it was 20% uh, before even slowing down and stopping. And we can see 12K, the same, same thing. It tested here, retraced, critical that it pulled back and tested that 10K as a support level, right? And then we can see once it got back to that 12K, it blasted through, right? Absolutely. And then it, and then got all the way up to 14K before pulling back ever so slightly. We didn't ever get a, a test of 12K as a support level, which I would have liked to see, but we didn't. Come a bit closer again. Come a bit closer again. Yeah, I said we could have. Okay. I, I wish we would have tested that 12K again as a support, but we didn't. Oh, okay. Okay, and then 16 and a half, we blasted through. 16 and a half, we have now tested as a support level, right? Now, Things can come, if things do get ugly, they turn around right now. And it would be a shame, certainly, to, to come all this way and not see that level of 10, of 20K. Um, but, you know, these are markets and things happen. Uh, so then we have all of these levels as valid support levels on the way down, meaning that we can take a 16 and a half, uh, we can take 14, and we can take 12, and we can see those um, as excellent opportunities to add to your position, I believe, in my, in my opinion, anyways. Um, now the question is what happens at 20K, right? Do, yeah. we, do we behave the same way as we did with 10K, test it for a while, test it again, test it again, and then blast right through? If that happens, I mean, the sky is the limit, right? I don't see, I don't see there's, after that, there are no, you know, just as we were before, uh, once we're in all-time high territory, there are no marks of resistance. So we can go... 100K, a million, 2 million, 5 million, who knows? Really? Do you think? Like the millions? Yes, because of digital scarcity. And people people miss this. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, certainly, you know, there have been people who've picked higher numbers than me, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. I, I'm very hesitant to make any kind of final call. Um, certainly at 80K, I'll be ready to take some profits, right? Yes, agreed. Um, but uh, what people don't understand is that the charts don't always matter, right? This is, um, you know, as a licensed portfolio manager, every time we talk about the charts, uh, the regulator says you need to add the disclaimer. Past performance does not indicate future results. Okay. And it's very true. When you're looking at charts, what you're seeing is past performance. And we can't make any type of uh forward-looking statements based on the, based on history we can only say that history has a tendency to repeat itself um and those price levels uh, are now relevant and we can't necessarily say what will happen once the relevant price levels are reached um so be that as it may the charts are not necessarily what's important here what's important here are the fundamentals or actually 
how many Bitcoin are available are available on the market for purchase, right? And what we saw in 2017 was there was none. Like yeah. we had times when people were trying to buy and they could not at any price get them, right? And when you're in a situation where you cannot get them at any price and people still want, still have the desire to purchase, mm-hmm. then the price goes up very, very quickly, right? Because the buyer is then forced to raise his buying price until he gets uh, somebody who goes, okay, you know what? For that price, I'll sell it to you, right? Um, and this is why, again, we, we can analyze the charts all we want, um, and many will, but at the end of the day, what, what's really at play here is this uh, ingenious design by Satoshi Nakamoto um, uh, with, of in implementing a hard cap at 21 million, uh, and then that's it. <laughs> there isn't any more. Yeah, my gosh. I mean, it, it's so insane when, when we, you know, when you pull out those numbers, and we're also, you know, I'm also in a world where people can't even understand why Bitcoin matters, and you know, even saying that Bitcoin has a use case, whether that's as a store of value or whatever it is, people are often just like, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme, it's a pump and dump, it's this and that. Um, so yeah, it, it's super insane to hear that. Um, okay, so so you know, you, you mentioned numbers like let's just say one million. Okay, let's just play with this number for a second. If, if it was to reach something like that, even on its way up to something like that, what does Bitcoin really need to be, right? Like, does it need to be a payments system? Does it need to be um, just as a store of value? Um, does it, you know, does it have to just be digital gold? Obviously, you know, we know it doesn't work fantastically well as a payment system, just given, you know, it takes so long, it's expensive. Are you um, kidding me? No, tell me, tell me, go on. Okay. Out of the 14 members of quantum economics, uh, 10 of them would prefer to receive a payment in Bitcoin. Yeah, me um, and, and myself, 100%. It's not only that, I, I, I find it constantly, like a constant struggle. I'll tell my bank, and I have I, I have a very good bank, and they give me a very great service. Is it an Israeli bank out of interest? No, Morgan Stanley. Oh, okay. um, they get they, they give me a very good service where I have a dedicated account manager and I tell them, OK, I want to transfer. Here's the digits. Here's the number. Here's the bank account that I want to transfer to. And they mm-hmm. come back to me. Oh, we, we couldn't find it or um, the payment was returned. I don't know why, but I, I, I waited two business days to figure out that the, <laughs> that the payment didn't go through. Yeah. And, and at that point, I just go to go, OK, give me your BTC address. He has it in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and, no, it, and it, like, this happens to me over and over and over again, right? So as a means of payment, it's already way ahead of, of, of the, the banking system. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. It is way ahead of the banking system. But just in terms of, I don't know, other potential cryptocurrencies, even if it's stable coins, I don't know, whatever it is, or I mean, a lot of them just work a lot faster. Um, I think it's Nano that does it in seconds. So, you know, do, do you think that Bitcoin could become that global payments? I don't know, you know, replace the dollar as that global payment um, like solution, or do you think, you know, we're not going to well, get that? My opinion on this is re- less relevant only because while I'm I'm on the show with you, or actually just before that, I took a hiatus from writing my daily quantum economics newsletter. Um, yesterday, we highlighted uh, Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock. And BlackRock, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, is the largest money manager in the world. They have seven 
uh, point something trillion dollars under management. They're the personal piggy bank also of the Federal Reserve, their uh, kind of liquidity provider for them. Um, one of the main benefactors, of course, of the last 10 years of quantitative easing. And uh, Larry Fink, uh, and, and this is what I'm writing about today, because yesterday I was so excited about the announcement. Today I actually went in and analyzed what did he say. Mm -hmm. And I'll be publishing it in just a bit, but he actually questioned, he, he, he brought the question, can Bitcoin or something like it mm -hmm. uh, replace the US dollar as global reserve currency. I mean, think about it. I mean, this is something that, you know, in 2011, you know, visionaries yeah. like, you know, Charlie Lee and Vitalik Buterin, you know, Yoni Asian, um, you know, uh, many, uh, several others. I mean, not very many people at that time were talking about, right? We can have tokenized assets that are on a blockchain and they're superior to traditional assets. In less than 10 years, that idea has now propagated to, you okay? No, what's happened? Down. Oh, okay. The highest bank in all of the land, the number one runner of money, of, of, of private equity in the entire world, is now talking about this idea of a tokenized yeah, future. <laughs> Hello. Leia's daddy's good friend. <laughs> Hello. No hellos. Okay, well, we're going to talk. Let's, let's you. keep going. Oh, you can't hear me. Oh, of course. Sorry. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Okay, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. The sentiment has completely changed um, over the last 10 years. To even have these kind of um, questions um, is, is pretty insane. So, in terms of, you know, Bitcoin is moving right now, I think it's around 19.2 or 19.3. Um, where do you where do you expect it to go? I know we've obviously mentioned there's a, there's been a lot of support, but are you expecting a correction anytime soon? Um, you know, we're sort of testing new highs. Um, what, what what do you expect for 2021? Yeah, and again, you know, um, you've got the 20k in the background, so I yeah, <laughs> look because I, I I like this as a round number. And um, I believe that it is extremely possible uh, any day now. I mean, we could we could reach it, but again, you know, this is um, uh, it's it's impossible to tell the future, Leah. I mean, I, I'm I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't be a very good asset manager if I tried to do that. No, good, and and I respect that. I can't stand, you know, when we're always hearing like it's gonna, like you know, we're gonna reach this price on this day. I mean, we we just don't know. I think overall, you know, there's a bullish sentiment. You know, we we believe in the asset. We understand um, the fundamentals behind it, and I guess that that's kind of all you can do. Um, but you know, in terms of being this global currency, it would need to scale, right? Um, so, do you think Bitcoin can scale? I know there's the Lightning Network, but that's kind of not very user friendly. What are your thoughts on this? Right. So, yeah, the Lightning Network, I think, is a failed experiment. They've taken them a very long time uh, to come to that uh, realization. But I think even the people who are behind it by now are, are starting to understand that it's not it's not moving very fast or it's, it's come to a, a kind of a roadblock. I think that even uh, according to the latest uh, the latest uh, reports that I saw, um, there's more Bitcoin on on the Ethereum network than there is in the Lightning mm. network. Um, I do believe very uh, very strongly in the power of uh, stable coins. Um, yeah. I think that, and especially with uh, the excellent wor work from Brian Brooks, uh, where he's basically um, 
legitimized uh, the entire industry of stable coins. So basically we're gonna see kind of a digitization of the US dollar, not as a central bank digital currency, but as the way that uh, currencies are today, um, you know, the commercial banks are the ones that print dollars. They're the ones who, who create the dollars, right? Based on the reserves of the central bank, they can lend, lend out uh, multiple times on every single dollar. So for every dollar in the Federal Reserve, they can then lend out uh, 10 times, now infinity times because there isn't any kind of um, uh, fractional or uh, minimum fractional requirement. Um, so at the end of the day, but the, but the inherent problem with that is that, um, you know, you get, a, you get to a point where uh, there's contagion in the system, right? Meaning that uh, the, the dollars printed at uh, JP Morgan are equal exactly to the dollars printed at Wells Fargo. And mm -hmm. JP Morgan is obviously a much more sound and stable financial institution, whereas, you know, Wells Fargo has their issues, right? Um, so when we get to the point where JP Morgan is able to, to print JP Morgan dollars and Wells Fargo is able to print Wells Fargo dollars, then we can see that there's, um, you know, the, the market can react to those differently. And then if something happens to Wells Fargo, something happens to their dollars and not to the U.S. dollar, which is which can bring topple the entire system. I think that's extremely healthy for the system and um, in many ways even greater than what China is working on with their central bank digital currency is to let the corporate world lead um, as they always do uh, within the U.S. economy. And I think that that's, that's true capitalism and I think that that's what's going to end up prevailing at the end of the day. Yeah, so this this kind of brings me on to a really interesting point, actually, um, about CBDCs um, and versus cryptocurrencies, right? Because they're obviously not exactly the same thing. Um, so as we move forward, right, and we move towards this world of digital money, we're already hearing, like you said, you know, China and their CBDCs. So in my opinion, I feel like there's going to be this tug of war between the two. Um, you know, you're you know you're talking about Bitcoin potentially as this global currency. So, do you think we're going to see a tug of war? Do you think they could actually work simultaneously, um, the same way cash and you know right now, sort of I guess digital money sort of work simultaneously, albeit they are on the same side, they're the same thing. Um, you know, do you think we're going to see like a tug of war between the two, like the government and the freedom movement, or how do you see it playing out? I'm not really sure how what, what you're what you're asking. Okay, so we're moving forward, right, with cryptocurrencies, and we're talking about cryptocurrencies potentially being um, this global currency that everybody's using. You know, you're obviously a fan of stablecoins that you said um, you're paying people in Bitcoin, but meanwhile, governments are creating their own CBDCs. So, right. in my opinion, digital money is inevitable. Everything's going digital. You know, the way we socialize is digital, the way we work is digital, dating is digital, eating is digital, you know, everything is digital. So it only makes sense that money will become digital. But will it be the government's version of crypto, right? Like the CBDCs, or will it be our version of crypto? Do you think they can work right. side by side? Or do you think there'll be a tug of war between the two in terms of being that yeah. global currency that everybody uses? Right. So I think that there is... Um, it's going to be very interesting how it how it will play out. Um, at, at this point, I see it kind of as like you know a game of pickup sticks where you've got the bundle and then you just drop it. I mean, I, I, to say exactly how it's going to play out here would be very difficult. I mean, we can kind of hypothesize, right? In, in my view, um, you know, China has come out with their centralized CBDC. Um, 
the United States is coming out with a very decentralized system for digitizing the U.S. dollar, um, and I, I don't. I don't know if that's going to play in, in the power dynamics or affect the US dollar's uh, ability to perform as the as the global reserve currency. I think that the banks will be able to innovate fast enough to thwart off uh, the, uh, the advances of China. I think they will be. Um, what you have in Europe, on the other hand, is something very different where they're coming out with, it seems, well, they're still, you know, back and forth. And of course, uh, Christine Lagarde was very likely put in, in her position as the European uh, Central Bank boss simply because of her, her thoughts on digital currency. Um, there's a there's a very they have a they have a paradox, right? Because mm. they want to uh, upgrade the system, and it's very clear that it's there are benefits of that. But on the other hand, um, they have uh, issues of privacy, right? Um, corporate uh, structure in the United States, as we see, you know, each each bank will be able to uh, protect the privacy of their customers at different levels, right? So some banks will be able to offer privacy as a feature and might attract customers based on that feature, right? Similar to the way Apple is doing now, they say, okay. This is the privacy phone. The government can't get your get, can't get access to it. Uh, so I believe that there will be banks that say, "Okay, your dollars that you're holding are very private." Um, in Europe, it seems like they're trying to come out with a centralized system, um, but also try to maintain privacy. And this is going to be extremely difficult to do from a mm -hmm. technical perspective. Um, in Europe, and this is where my license, my financial license is from Europe. I've seen it firsthand. Their compliance is like especially with anti-money laundering laws. They're so afraid that terrorists might actually get money into the system and buy things with it that they actually just like, uh, they refuse a lot of legitimate business based on that. Um, and I think that they're going to find it very difficult to have their cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how can you, on the one hand, crack down on, on money laundering and tax evasion and, and all of those things that you're afraid of and on the same at the same time protect the privacy of your citizens the working paper that i read which came out a few months ago uh was that they're going to say okay um for large you know for small transactions and each person will be entitled to a certain amount of privacy credits where mm -hmm. you can make small transactions that are fly underneath the radar and are completely private and nobody will understand. But for larger purchases, uh, they'll be reported by you know to the government. So that's almost like saying, okay, so um, you can have your bedroom, okay? You can do whatever you want in your bedroom, but we're gonna have to install a, a camera in your living room for your own protection, right? So to me, that's like I it doesn't that's not a solution. I think that they're gonna no. they're gonna find this paradox extremely difficult to solve. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And I, I think, you know, seeing how those different sort of, I guess, power sides, power plays play out, I think will be really, will be really interesting. But just on a final note, then regulation is something I just quickly wanted to go over with you. Um, it's yeah. something that we're talking a lot about at the moment. Um, PayPal, um, their CEO are calling for the community to, um, to work hand in hand with regulators, which I think is quite funny. Um, so what are your thoughts? You know, is regulation the good old necessary evil? Um, can you even regulate Bitcoin or is it gonna be, you know, regulating the 
on our end, you know, um, in terms of, I don't know, making it, making it, you know, kind of, I'm trying to think of the top of my head what we could do, you know, make it clear how much you hold and who you're transacting with and, and having to fill out papers and this, and I don't know. I mean, can you regulate it? Right. And this just kind of goes along the lines of what, uh, you know, what Ray Dalio was asking about, which I, I covered in the uh, uh, newsletter uh, last week. Because right, he he asked some very good questions about Bitcoin. So why can't, you know, if the, if it gets too big, why couldn't the, the government ban it? Um, the simple answer is they can't um, because, you know, it's a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, system. And uh, technically it would be very difficult, even if they would, uh, pour all of their resources into it and collaborate with several countries, it would be extremely difficult. If they did, if that was the level, I think that Bitcoin would have a, a very big fight, right? There, there would be challenges. Um, but at the, le the at, at, at present time, we we don't really see that push from governments. And um, as far as you know, in 2017, we had right there was. During that time, there was the fear, and then there was the government's going, okay. No. With the exception of Brad Sherman, I don't think that anybody in, in, in the United States government really wants to outlaw Bitcoin at this point, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, we saw those tweets from Brian Armstrong about Mnuchin and uh, the, the, the personal custody wallets and stuff like that. Um, I think that, that was there might have been an idea floated in passing that Brian was responding to, and he's correct to respond to because when there are bad ideas, you you know, the industry needs to rise up and say, this is a bad idea because X, Y, Z, just as Brian had done. I don't mm -hmm. think that he had intention to crash the uh, the price or anything like that. Although, you know, we never know. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, we can see that the government is, and, and it seems to me, even those laws that he was responding to were proposed uh, in favor of the currency without understanding the minute details, but they actually understood that, okay, there is something here that we can, uh, that we should be watching and we should do something about. And then they proposed something and this was just a bad, that's just a bad idea, leave it alone. And now that, now that that has happened, they, of course, they left it alone. If the community, on the other hand, if the community would have said, hey, that's a great idea, right? Uh, maybe there would have been a different reaction to those pr proposals and uh, something could have gone through. And again, in a deadlocked Congress right now, nothing's going to go through. Nothing so it's really happened. a moot, moot point, but it's still important to debate the ins and outs. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because that was that whole conversation as well with um, Raul Powell. And, you know, he was sort of saying regulation will happen and, you know, you will still use Bitcoin. Um, you know, do you think it's such an inevitable thing, though, in the way that he does? Or are you just sort of very much on the lines of, you know, the community will reject it, like you just said, and it's also physically not quite possible? Yeah, I mean, the thing about cryptocurrencies and, and it's giving regulators a real run for their money because um, regulators are used to dealing local first and then expanding, right? So yeah. you have a market in that's in New York, for example, right? Which is, you know, maybe a few hundred years ago, just starting out and you had to keep an eye on it. And then as it glow, grows, it becomes, a, you know, it becomes more of an international thing. But the market physically still resides in New York City, you can go visit it, right? Um, with cryptocurrencies, 
you have a market which is suddenly brand new. It's global first. It doesn't have a physical address, um, and therefore uh, regulators they don't they don't really know how to tackle it. And what what we're finding though, and again, there's you know always this tug of war, that it has actually given somewhat of a mandate for regulators that are global in nature, which didn't really have a place until now, are now finding it, uh, finding newfound power and newfound mandate to step in and say, okay, now we have this problem. So now the government in this area, the global government mm-hmm. should get together. So in a way, I mean, we have, for example, United Nations. I, I have always, since, since being a child, have advocated for um, you know, a global government, right? One that kind of operates, you know, and, and I think that that could uh, certainly do wonders as far as, you know, reducing war and poverty. Um, but, and and maybe in this way, uh, Bitcoin heals the world. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Like it pushes the, the global governments, gives them more power. Um, and then they can then come and, 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 I don't know, join forces. But again, it's a nice way sticks, to end. Right? We'll That's drop, a nice we'll drop the pickup sticks and see how they land. Yeah, it's a nice way to end it. It could heal the world. I mean, I guess, you know, talking about a global government, it depends, you know, in what sense and in what way. Um, but anyway, Matty, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, where can people find you? What are your last words? Just promote yourself. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Twitter, of course, and uh, come to quantumeconomics.io. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, It's gold. There you go. Thanks so much. Everyone follow Matty if you're not already. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you next Thursday, 12 p.m. EST. Bye-bye.